initially tested or diagnosed with attention deficit disorder. But on more than one occasion, I have been asked point blank if I have been tested or diagnosed with attention deficit disorder. I'm, I don't know exactly how to feel about that. Um, when I was a youth pastor, I had two separate parents at different times asking if I had been tested and if I would like to be. <laughs> yeah, accompanied with a very gentle pat on the back, right? And, that little girl, you know, and I'm like, I, I just don't get that, and I'm not exactly sure where that would be coming from or why people would, hey, look at that. I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> Here's the deal, okay? I think a lot of us do have that kind of ADD thing going on when it comes to uh, our, our spiritual lives. It's like one thing to the next. We're, we are being like, you know, jerked all over the place with, with where our focus is. And I am guilty of that all the time, okay? And, and like a, a shifting focus from one thing to the next spiritually. Um, one of the beautiful things about the way that we've been traveling together, journeying together this semester, is that we've been walking through kind of the church calendar. Right? And this ancient rhythm that the church has established in these seasons that help us stay focused. It's kind of like Adderall for our spiritual ADD, right? It kind of anchors us, helps us stay focused on the story and traveling kind of through the story. So that bit by bit we're taking these steps and we're staying focused and we're staying locked in to where God is trying to lead us through the broad scope of his scriptures. And so that's where, where we are this morning. We've been in this season that we, of Epiphany. It's this ancient season of the church of Epiphany. It comes after Christmas and after Advent. So Advent is about waiting on the arrival of Jesus. Christmas is about celebrating the arrival of the Messiah. Epiphany is this time of when we pray that God would give us eyes to truly see what is happening, to really reveal who this is that is here in this manger, this, this baby that we have, have worshipped, this baby that we've celebrated to really reveal to us who this is. And so that's what Epiphany is about. It's about the light coming on, right? It's about the, one of those light bulb kind of moments where it finally hits us and we realize exactly what is going on. And that's where we are this morning. We've been for a couple of weeks in that together. And we're going to continue to pray this prayer together that's been our prayer all the way through. And it is this, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. One of the, the judgments that um, all throughout the Old Testament the prophets repeat and that Jesus himself picks up on in the Gospels is this. He says, you have eyes, but you cannot see. You have ears, but you do not hear. You good? You might stand up, buddy. Uh, green light is on. just shout if we need to, alright? Cool. I think I'm on. I'm attached. Green means go. Alright. Sweet. Oh, I just heard something. Oh. Okay. Alright. How's that? Sweet. Okay, remember what Jason said earlier? Yes, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> you never know what's going to happen. Okay. So... Here we go. Okay. Yes. All right. All right. So 
entertain ears to hear. All right, that is our prayer, our consistent prayer. Through and mind to remember. Okay, and, and that's our prayer all the way through Epiphany. And so we're we're at that again today. Last week we read a passage to you um, through the book of Ephesians, right? And Ephesians chapter one, verses seventeen through twenty. We focused on that, and we said this was kind of our prayer, and we are going to stick with that today. And we're going to just completely unpack this, what, what Paul is writing here. And, and this is going to be where we're, where we're going to stay today. Okay, so Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verses 17 through 20. If you've got your Bible, you can go ahead and turn there, okay? A little bit of background here. Paul, who is writing this letter, started out as one of the ultimate enemies of the church. Okay? After the death and resurrection of Jesus... As the movement began to spread, Paul was one of the first ones right at the forefront violently opposing this new movement of Christianity. Okay, Even to the point that Paul is the one who, at the death of the very first Christian martyr, the, the Stephen, who was put to death simply for his proclamation of the gospel and his belief in Jesus Christ, he's put to death, and there, at the standing there giving approval to it, is Paul. Okay? Now, Paul goes through this radical transformation where Jesus Christ grabs a hold of his life, literally appears to him, speaks to him, and, and it just knocks him knocks him really backwards and, and, and just grabs a hold of his life, and Paul is changed forever. So he becomes, instead of this person who's violently opposed to Christianity, he is this person who is passionately advancing the mission of Christianity. And he goes from the chief persecutor to the chief theologian of the church, to the chief missionary of the church, and he begins to take the gospel into places where it has never been before. And a really cool thing begins to happen with Paul. He takes the gospel beyond the confines of where it started. The gospel begins in the Jewish culture and in, in the Jewish faith, right? And so these people that had been immersed in the stories of Abraham, of Moses, of David, and, and just they cut their teeth on the prophets basically as they're being uh, raised in this truth. Then the story of Jesus comes into that as the fulfillment of all those things. The fulfillment of Abraham, Moses, David, the prophets, right? And so it's kind of this, this uh, culmination of everything that those people had already known. But what Paul does, he takes it beyond those boundaries and beyond those barriers into places where people didn't have that background. Instead, these were people who had worshipped other idols, had completely different gods. And this is the case of the people in Ephesus who this letter, the book of Ephesians, is written to. The people in Ephesus, um, they were known worldwide for their worship of one god in particular, the Greek god Artemis, okay, or goddess Artemis. Um, Roman version of that is Diana, okay, kind of uh, the same thing going on there. And so they built this elaborate temple to this goddess of Artemis, and it literally became worldwide known for this, and, and they are still remembered for this uh, to this day. Um, the temple that they built, it took them like over a century to build this thing, okay? And when Paul is writing this letter, it's already uh, been standing for over 500 years, and so it's like deep in the roots and the consciousness of these people. It was the center of who they were. Um, it was so famous and so important to them. This is how major this temple was. It actually uh, became known as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. A 
okay, in like the original lists that were being made, all right? Uh, it became known as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And that list has completely changed now. And so now there are different things on the list, like the Golden Gate Bridge, um, the Grand Canyon. Um, there's another thing on there, and I cannot... Oh, there's another thing mythological proportions it's it's slipping my mind right now but I'll think of it later um, so okay um, these wonders of the world alright Robbie's beard is of mythological proportions um, so these wonders of the world and, and this temple was a part of that okay and so it was deep in the consciousness of these people it was deep in the identity of who they were. It marked everything about who they were. And so it's into this environment that Paul is writing this letter. Okay? It's into this environment that he's writing this letter into brand new ground. where Not where salvation was something that the people had been waiting for for a long time, for this arrival of the Messiah. For, for these people, salvation was something that sideswiped them, that came out of nowhere. And it completely upended their entire structure of the way that they view the world. And so Paul is building on this foundation and breaking down for them uh, the basics of, of what this faith of Christianity is about. So it's to these people that Paul writes this letter. Paul helped start this church in Ephesus. He spent three years there helping to build it and get the grassroots movement going there. And so this place holds a, a, a deep place in his heart. Okay, and so you can hear that in the prayer that he prays for them. Um, another thing about this letter is that it was it was spread wide, like churches from all over um, in that area. It was circulated, and this letter was used to fan the flame of Christianity in this whole region um, to encourage all these people. So here's what Paul prays for these people. Okay, verse 17. <coughs> I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul is a brilliant, that was perfect timing, I'm sorry, Paul is a brilliant writer here, okay, Paul is, is just pouring everything that he has into the structure of this language, and you can hear by the way he layers this last piece, and he's just going on and on and on, attempting to describe the kind of power that is at work in us, right, and he just layers it thick and over and over. And, and I love the way he ends that. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That, that, that's just beautiful writing there. And because Paul is so 
um, careful about the words that he chooses. We're going to take a few minutes here, and as we walk through, we're going to pull out some of these key words, okay? These are intentionally placed here for us. So we're going to pull them out, we're going to focus on some of the key words of this prayer that Paul prays over his friends here in Ephesus, okay? Before we begin. Hey, sir. Yes, sir. No disrespect, but I got a bad smoking habit, and I got to go to it. Brother, you go get to it. You're totally good. Thank you, sir. All right, let's see you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. I'll be back. All right. Go be today, that it would completely transcend time, that it would strike us right in our hearts, and that you would speak to us through it. I pray that this would become a prayer for us, and that the truth of it would sink into us, that you would grab us, that you would grip us with it, and speak to us today through your word. It's your name we pray. So, let's break it down just a little bit. The first part of this prayer is this. I pray uh, that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. Revelation is the ability to see, okay, that things are revealed. And wisdom is the ability to understand what it is that you're seeking, okay? So, He prays that we'll be able not just to see, but that we'll actually be able to understand what it is that we're taking in, okay? perceive and to understand. Why? So that you may know Him better. So that you may know Him better. Hear the heartbeat of Paul in this. I pray that you might know God better. This is the purpose and the focus of discipleship. One of the chief missions of the church is to raise up disciples of Jesus Christ. People who know God. People who truly know God. We're not talking only on an intellectual level, although that is absolutely important, but also on a deep heart level. And this kind of knowledge that he's talking about is a thing that goes back and forth between these two, between the head and the heart. It's not a divorce of one from the other. Okay? A lot of times in Christianity, we get caught up on the idea of, of the heart so intensely that we forget about the mind. The mind is equally important. The mind and the heart join together. Okay? We should not separate things that were meant to go together. You cannot separate the head from the heart. Okay? You can try, but it will not do any good for either one. Okay? So these are meant to be together, intimately intertwined, to know Him intellectually, to know Him through our hearts. Okay? This is the purpose of discipleship, to follow Jesus into the heart of the Father. Discipleship is following Jesus into the heart of the Father and having the Holy Spirit begin to reveal to us the core of who this good and loving Father is. This is what it's all about. On Tuesday nights, we get together for what we call the story. And what we do down at McAllister's Deli, we sit around a table, we enjoy a meal together, and we break open the Word. And we attempt to do this. We attempt to have our minds sharpened, to have our hearts set on fire by the truth of the words. We walk through the scripture together. This is what discipleship is about. It's one of the chief missions of the church, to follow Jesus into the heart of the Father. And you can hear how important this is for Paul 
as he prays it over his friends. He goes on to say, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The eyes of your heart may be enlightened. The eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Again, this layer of vision, right? And a different kind of vision, not just a physical kind of sight, but a spiritual kind of sight. The eyes of the heart. The eyes of the heart. It's the ability to see things that other people can't. Things that are hiding right in plain sight. And this echoes that prayer. God, give us eyes to see. Open our hearts up so that we can take it in. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. That God would enlighten us. That he would enlighten us so that we can understand. Jason mentioned earlier uh, a thing, a story that I was going to uh, tell you, you you've, some of you have heard it before, but on the second Sunday that we um, were ever together here in this place, I had this brilliant idea of this like great opening for a sermon, <coughs> and I was like, we're going to start the whole sermon in complete darkness, and we're going to talk about the sheer importance of light, and we're going to let everybody sit in this like intense darkness for a while, right? And so we start off, and it's dark, and I'm like, dark. I've got this great thing ready, you know. I was, oh, nice. It was basically like this, all right? It was like uh, darkness. And as soon as I said that, all the lights came. <laughs> uh, can we take those down for a second? It was wonderful. Okay, um, but that's the thing, man. Light comes in and chases the darkness away completely chases the darkness away and suddenly we're able to see the shapes and contours of things in ways that we couldn't before. Have you ever been walking through your house, your apartment, or your dorm room and it's just completely dark in there? And this is like the one place in the world you're most familiar with. You know it better than any other place in the world. And, and yet, when darkness comes in, you think you know that place. But as you start to feel your way through, it feels like somebody has completely like changed the floor plan on you, right? And suddenly things aren't where you thought that they were. But then flip the light on and suddenly the picture is clear again. This is what he's talking about, that the, that the light would come on in your heart so that you would be able to see clearly. So that you would be able to see clearly. And what does he want us to see? The hope to which we have been called. Christianity <coughs> is a faith full of hope. It's a faith full of hope. It's a, it's a faith in which the future has been completely reframed for us. The future has been reframed, the past has been reclaimed, and the present has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And suddenly the world looks completely different. We no longer live dominated by fear, which is the expectation of evil or harm. But instead we live by hope which is the confident expectation of good. Completely reframes the way we see everything in the world. And he's called us into this hope. He continues on there, and he says, I pray that you might know the riches of God's glorious inheritance. The riches of his glorious inheritance. What do we know about inheritance? Why does Paul choose that word specifically? Here's some of the things that we know about inheritance, okay? Same is true today and was especially true back then. The idea of inheritance was a very significant idea in this day and in this time, okay? Here's what we know about it. One, 
First of all, it's earned by somebody else. It's earned by somebody else. It's a gift that is passed down to us by somebody else. The second thing that we know about it is that usually we come to it through what? Birth and blood. Birth and blood. Being born into a family, being part of a blood family line. And that's how we receive an inheritance. And then the last thing that we know about it that still remains true today is this. The way you receive an inheritance, usually, somebody has to die. Right? Somebody has to die. You don't normally get an inheritance while the person is still alive. It is something that is left. Somebody has to die. And the same is true for the inheritance that he's speaking about, the inheritance that we receive through Jesus Christ. It comes to us through blood, through the blood that Jesus Christ shed on the cross. It comes to us through birth, that we are born again into this new life that he gives us through that salvation. It comes to us by somebody having to die. Jesus himself dying in our place. So that we can be a part of this. And it is earned by somebody else. Salvation is not something that any of us have earned. No matter how good you are. No matter what kind of prizes and positions have been poured on you. You come through salvation by it being earned by somebody else. Jesus Christ. And that's what grace is about. Grace is poured out on you because Jesus wanted you. Okay? That's how you are part of this. The last piece of the prayer is this. He prays, finally, pray that you might know the incomparably great power for us who believe. What kind of power is this? It's the same power that was at work when God raised <coughs> Jesus Christ from the dead. It says that mighty strength exerted in raising Christ from the dead. The same power that is in us is the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Living in us, humming in us, pulsing in us, possibly sleeping in us, is the power of death to life. Life has been one for that issue is already settled. Full life, robust life, real life has been won for us. The issue is settled. Now the business of whether or not we're going to live it, that's up to us. That's up to us. That power is there. Paul knows the importance of words. Okay, He knows the importance of words. And listen to these words that he chooses to try to describe this. The first, that idea of, of, of a power that is... Beyond compare, okay, beyond compare, the, the Greek word that in the original language that he chooses there is this word um, right there, hyperbola. Okay? Does that look familiar at all to us? Absolutely. This is the root of where we get the idea of hyperbole, right? And in our language, it's a rhetorical term to mean exaggeration, to go like way, way, way beyond. In the original sense, it, it means this, okay? To surpass, to exceed, to transcend, to surpass in throwing, to throw over or beyond, right? To have a mark and just completely go way past it. To go way past it. Paul is a master of rhetoric. He's a man who knows what he's doing with words. 
and he has searched his full vocabulary, and he has come up short with anything to describe the depth of power that is found through Jesus Christ. And the only way he can describe it is to say it is a power that exceeds, that surpasses, that goes beyond, and it sounds like exaggeration, but it's still not even hitting the mark. It's still not even coming close to getting to the heart of what kind of power this is. A power that throws over, right? That goes way beyond the mark, okay? The second thing that he talks about there is the idea of power. And here's what that word looks like in the original language. Does that look familiar at all as well? Okay, it's where we get our term of dynamite, obviously, okay? It's this, it's this power dunamis, this, this intense kind of power, inherent power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature. And then I love this, moral power or excellence of soul. Excellence of soul. What a way to describe the power that it at work in. <coughs> this is what he says. He is searching for words to try to describe the thing that is alive in us. The thing that is alive in us because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. There's a writer named Annie Dillard, and she puts it this way. She says, on the whole, I do not find Christians sufficiently sensible of conditions. Does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke? Or, as I suspect, does not one believe a word of it? The churches are children playing on the floor with their chemistry sets, mixing up a batch of TNT to kill a Sunday morning. It is madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal players. They should lash us to our pews. This is the kind of thing that we're dealing with here. A power that goes beyond, that throws over. The kind of power that goes beyond. Okay? It is living in us. It is living in us. And so many of us fail to live at all. He's calling us into it. This is what he's calling us into. He's saying, wake up. Awaken to the strength that lives within you and live it out. This is what is living in us. Okay? And as a church, we want to be the kind of people who lets this power live through us. We want that, that power to find its way out of us and to completely turn the world around us upside down. For everywhere that we walk, to leave the marks of it behind. Here are a few ways that we plan to do that this coming year, okay? Over this next semester and over the next several months. Tonight, strangely warmed out on Franklin Street, uh, where we're going to give away hats, gloves, coats to people out on the street. There's going to be racks out there. Meet us at 6.30 across the street over there next to GameStop and help. This is, you will be blown away. You will be blown away if you come and if you're a part of this, your response to this. We have one of our friends, Jordan Connor, who last week brought in just a ridiculous amount of clothes. She told somebody at her home church about it. They wanted to get $500 to send her out to just load this place up with coats to give away. That is awesome. Come be a part of it tonight. The next piece of that is that in the weeks to come, we're going to take some of these um, jackets and clothes also to the women's and children's shelter. And so, ladies, we invite some of you to come and to be a part of that and to help us do it 
you'll be blown away when you come in contact with these ladies. And they'll be blown away when they see the power working through you. Okay? Also over at the Women's and Children's Shelter, Derek and April Hastings are our pastors of family life. They work with our children right now up in the upstairs. And April was telling her friend about when she took some of these coats to the women's shelter. Her friend is a hairstylist. And her friend says, maybe I can come with you and like do the hair of the ladies that live there. Beautiful idea, right? Okay, and so we're going to do that. And that's going to be amazing. Ladies, you're going to want to be a part of that. Um, also, um, I'm drawing a blank. Let's see. Oh, yeah. Um, photographers that are here. Okay, some of you photographers. Um, photojournalism students, come along with us on these things, man, and, and, and document what is happening. And, and who knows what kind of pictures you might be able to give to somebody that will be a gift of dignity back to them, right? It could be a beautiful thing. Um, so uh, we invite you to come and be a part of that too. Um, also with the kids, you heard about the Valentine's thing that's going to be happening, um, where we're going to be making Valentine's cards for some of the elderly people who live in some of the nursing homes and things like that. Um, and, and so do that. Let that be a way that the power works its way out and people come in contact with this thing that has changed you. We have a friend named Amanda. Amanda sent us an email last week. And here's what it says, okay? Hey, guys. Hope all is well. I was wondering if Love Chapel Hill would like to get on board with spreading some love to exotic dancers in Albuquerque, New Mexico. <laughs> What? <laughs> All right. Imagine getting that email. Like, that's the first line of the email. You're like, oh, wait, what? Hold up. Oh, this is awesome, okay? And here's how she goes on to explain it, okay? She says, there are people out there that don't know what they are worth in the eyes of God. So they don't know how to get out of situations they are in or why they even should, for that matter. My sister lives in Albuquerque, and she feels that she is being led to reach out to exotic dancers. She's, she has been putting this request off from God uh, for quite some time because she wasn't met with any enthusiasm when she brought the idea up to friends. She thought that there must have been some mistake on God's part choosing her for this job. But the Lord has been very persistent, and she is now ready to proceed with the task and needs some help. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. In a, in a few weeks, we're going to send like some gift bags home with you guys, and you're going to fill it up with stuff. Okay, and ladies, you're going to fill it up with like, in Amanda's words, not mine, frou-frou girly stuff. Okay? <laughs> I did not make that up, I promise you. Um, and we're going to send those to Albuquerque, New Mexico. All right? How crazy is that? That's, that's beautiful. It's the power finding its way out. Um, and, and just all kind of things that are coming up. Some more Orange Sundays where we're going to be talking about addressing this problem of human trafficking around the world. Um, missions trips. We've got people going to Zambia. We've got a missions trip being planned for this summer. The power working its way out. It's at work in us. And we want to see it at work through us. Okay? This is what the movement of God is about. It's knowing him. It's Jesus leading us into the heart of the Father. It's us knowing the Father intimately. And when we begin to know the heart of the Father, you know what happens? He sends us out into the world. And he says, wake up to what is in you. Wake up to the grace that's been poured out on you. Now take it everywhere that you go. Let it break out.
some of us, that's what we need. We need to open ourselves up and let this power pour out. For others, we need to let this power that throws over, as Paul described it, right? We need to let that power that throws over, overthrow some things in our lives. Some of us, fear has had a place at our table for far too long. And it's time that this power overthrows fear and puts hope in its place. For some of us, addiction has been calling the shots in our lives for way too long. And it's time for this power to overthrow that and put freedom in its place. What is it for you? He's calling out to it. He wants it to wake up in you. He's placed it in you as your inheritance. He died for it. He shed his blood for it. You were born again into it. And he's saying, wake up to the power that lives within you. Wake up. Wake up. Father, thank you. We pray that you would continue to open our eyes. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. As we walk through our day, keep us wide awake. Keep us wide awake to the power that is buzzing, that is humming inside of us that wants to work its way out. Help us to know what we are handling here. Help us to catch even the slightest glimpse of what we are handling here. This is not a social engagement that we come to once a week to hang out, to be seen. Mobilize us. Send us out. Break our hearts for people. Help us to know you more. Draw us into the heart of the Father and then send us out of that heart into the world. Thank you.